Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. We are going to be in the 37th week of A Glimpse of Glory today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, Scott, greatly. Now, honestly, um, I, I feel like as, as someone who is on staff here that I probably have the least amount of skills, qualities, uh, or anything of that nature compared to the folks that I work with and that I partner with in the, for the sake of the gospel here. So it's, it truly is an amazing group of, of people that God has placed together and I feel completely inadequate to be a part of that. Um, and so often I feel that way in preaching the gospel. And, and ultimately I'm not adequate to preach outside of the absolute grace, mercy, and the power of the Spirit working inside of me. Uh, because my words don't mean anything and I'm not gifted in speaking to you. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to take this off though. Yeah. And so I know... Um, you know, one of the things that I, that I wanted to say as well is just continuation of the thankfulness that I have for you guys. Um, you know, especially the last few months have not been the easiest for me physically, uh, which also means that they have been extraordinarily difficult for my wife to take care of our four kids. And so I know you guys have stepped in the gap in a lot of different ways. And I always want to continue to, to say thank you, whether it's been through prayer, whether it's been through supplication or, or just bringing items to our home. Uh, whatever it is, there's always so much encouragement that comes from the body of Christ when we gather together for the sake of that intimacy. And so for, for those who are having surgery this week, and we want to pray and lift you up because we know that it's not easy. And yet we desire with everything that we have that God would fill you with his presence and his grace in your life. And we love you richly. And so I know for a lot of us, this year has been not the easiest year. Uh, there's been different difficulties uh, it's been an adventure, there's different trials, our endurance, our resolve, our perseverance has been tested, not really just as individuals, but even as a nation. And if you're like me, we've all had our share of weakness, and even moments of fear, and anxiety, and worry. And I can tell you guys the, the honesty out of, you know, when I had my 20 days of COVID, and there was a moment in there that I, I had fear. There was real fear there. Um, you know, especially the one night I I, my temperature was so high, I couldn't see anymore. And so there was real fear that existed there. And so that's probably one of the first times I've ever seen that in my life. And so it's oftentimes as a pastor, you get in situations where you meet with people in the, in the utter pits of their despair, where they have nothing left to give and, and you want to encourage with everything that you have, and yet you don't know what they're in. And so even in that moment, it's, it, it's, it's a poor even perspective to know what some of you guys have gone through. But there's always that element into which I know that our faith is tested regularly. And there are moments in which we are tried by fire, in which we are tried by life. And yet God is merciful and gracious in the middle of it all in a way that's so inexplicably hard to understand. And so I can tell you guys that, that in these points of my life in the last few months, I have been drawn to the point of absolute weakness. And in the body of myself, I have seen that I, I am weak. And in those moments, I have seen God work and I have seen my complete and absolute inadequacies. Not just in my body, but in my mind, in my spirit, in my emotion. I've seen that. And yet I know that God is good and faithful through the midst of it. 
It's in these times that we see our true character. We, we see what our firm foundation really is. Are they convictions or is it simply just a charade for other people to see what we want them to see? Now, I've enjoyed reading about God's word and I think it's, it's so prevalent because the people in this book are us in some way. They have our personality, they have our struggles. And for all of us to be able to see the different stories that God has laid out through his word is, is such an encouragement. And for many of us, it's different stories that hit us at different times and, and even in different situations in life. And in all of this, I just enjoy being able to see God working through his covenantal promises to his, his people throughout all of time. Even when it appears that sometimes things are good or sometimes things appear bad or even times when it seems that God is indifferent, that he's not answering us. Through it all, God is working through his promises. You know, the difficulty for us in our human condition really comes down to the fact that we often want certainty. We want control. We want power. Even though we may not say it that way, we want to be able to have a grasp of our lives in our hands. And we often don't want that to be taken from us. And I would be lying to say otherwise, and I know you would guys as well. And yet the desire for knowledge and power and control really doesn't work for a God who tells us and asks us to wait. For a God who desires to put our faith in him, our trust in him, and even a God who tells us we wouldn't understand if he told us anyway. It's a hard position to be in, is it not? When I want control of my life, when I want my kingdom to advance in my own life. And some of those things aren't bad things, right? I desire for my kids to grow up and to become knowledgeable and, and all of these things, but sometimes we, we want to grasp such a, a stronghold on that because we do want the control of it. And yet God often tells us to wait, to trust, and even if something happens, you wouldn't understand if I told you what's going on. And we're told to trust that God. To have that kind of faith requires us to surrender all of us, not just some of it. To have that kind of faith requires us to count the value of our lives in contrast to the cost of giving it all up for the sake of knowing him. And the question for each and every single one of us, is that cost worth it? I mean, like, is it really worth it? Not just like, oh, Jesus is awesome. But when stuff happens, like, I got to have that in my hands. Like, I have to have control of that. Like, is he worth it to the point that no matter the cost, we would say, I trust you? That is a type of faith that requires all of me, not just some of me. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we seek you now, Lord, for the encouragement, for the edification of this body, for myself, Lord, that we might grow in our understanding of you, that we might grow in our faith, Lord, in the realization that it isn't of ourselves, but Lord, you are doing the work inside of that. Lord, even as Kirk said earlier, that we might plunge into that, to know you more, to see everything else around us less. Lord, that we might know you in the power of your resurrection. Lord, we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 a little bit, and, we're going to, and I want to share a story that, that I think in, in a unique way kind of compares with it, okay? 
And so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the author says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If we go on to verses 2 and 3, it says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made of things that are visible. Faith is a difficult thing, is it not? Faith in something that we cannot see, hope for something that we've been told about. But if we're honest, we have no concrete foundation of knowing for sure, for sure, right? And that's why faith is difficult. Because it's a hope in something that we cannot see and a hope in something that we've been told about. And I think we trust, and we, but we have to rely on something that's been said to us, not something that we've seen. And that is a difficult thing. The very nature of faith in God rests in the trust of something unseen, yet to live with the conviction and assurance of hope in the words of an unseen creator. And to the person that does not see this, to the unbeliever, faith is insane. It doesn't make sense. And I can remember even before I was a, a follower of Christ, like I, I believed in Jesus, but when I saw people who were radical, right, radical, it's like, what? that doesn't make sense. Why would you give it all up? Like, there's got to be something left for me, right? It didn't make sense to me. And I know it doesn't make sense for a lot of people. It seems utterly insane. And the reality is that Paul even, if the resurrection didn't happen, like, go away. Like, don't come back again. This is stupid to give this all up if Jesus is not real. If the resurrection didn't happen, like, please leave. Like, like we can hang out, but don't come back here anymore. Don't give any of your money to this place. That's the reality of it, because it seems so insane to those who do not see. And even when you go on to look at the lives of the individuals listed through Hebrews 11, we're met with individuals who often, if we think of it outside of our Bible, if we think of it in a perspective of a non-believer, they make illogical, insane decisions. And they're often ridiculed for their so-called faith. And is that not too far from what we are seeing even now? Increasingly, our culture is responding to the idea of following this dead man from 2,000 years ago, from a Bible written even longer ago, about a God who doesn't exist. It's preposterous. And it even makes you unfit to serve your government. Because we wouldn't want you to talk about that stuff to anyone, because it's so dumb. Again and again and again throughout Hebrews 11, and ultimately many of the stories of Scripture, all throughout, we see that there's this commonality that exists amongst the people, that they are a people who live by faith. Right? If we're to think of all the characters that exist in the Bible who had these experiences with God, there's only a few in the, the grand scheme of it all. Right? We love the stories of the apostles. We love the stories of the Old Testament of, of David and, and, and Joseph and all these people. But there are only a few people who had this real, real direct line, this beautiful glimpse of glory, who shared it with everyone else. And everyone else followed by complete faith. I mean, they got to see bits and moments of it. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, they followed by faith. And yet today... Even though we may be seen as illogical people, my prayer, my hope is that we are encouraged in that. To live insanely faithful lives. 
in a way of encouragement, I want to share a story, and one that you guys know who these people are, but often I think we, we think of them in a box, like there's a little bit that we know about them, and it's Mary and Joseph. But I want to share an aspect of their lives in a way that, that maybe you haven't thought of before as we kind of exit this Christmas season, as we start into this new year. Right? And, and what we know about Mary and Joseph is this, right? Mary was an unmarried virgin girl when God sent the angel Gabriel to give her a message. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, but they did not have sexual relations. She became pregnant as a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit, so that the child she carried had no earthly father. An angel also visited Joseph and told him to go ahead and take Mary as his wife. So they married, and Joseph became known as the father of Jesus, even though he was not. The rest of the Christmas story is found in Luke chapter 2, gives us a glimpse of Mary as she gives birth to the Savior, as, she's, uh, visited by the sh- as they're visited by the shepherds, as eventually they're found by the wise men from the east after Jesus' birth. And that's really probably, like, if we know the story, that's the story we know of Mary and Joseph as the parents of Jesus. As we continue on, some of you guys may know this, after Jesus' birth, they did as they were commanded to do under the Jewish law. They go to the temple and they present an offering to the Lord. Uh, they meet two prophets uh, that recognize them as one is the promise of Israel. An aged woman, Anna, blessed the child, and an elderly Simon prophesied over him, giving Mary a glimpse of the sorrow that would one day pierce her heart when her son would suffer for the sins of the world. The next time we see Mary is, is almost uh, ten, 10 years later in, in Luke chapter 2, uh, where Jesus is left behind uh, at the temple during Passover, and his family leaves him. And, and if you guys have ever wondered how Kevin in Home Alone gets, gets left at home. Like, could you imagine, just ponder for a second. Okay, we have the Son of God that God has gifted us, that we've been entrusted with, and we left him. Like, I, uh, God, I, we accidentally left Jesus behind somewhere. <laughs> and not just for like a couple, like a few minutes, it took him three days to find him. <laughs> and then... When Mary's like worried about Jesus, like, where have you been? He goes, who do you think you are, woman? (coughs) I'm in my father's house. He scolds her. (laughs) And when they come back to get Jesus, they they, they bring him back. And the next time we see of Mary, uh, she isn't mentioned until Jesus' earthly ministry begins in the city of Cana. uh, When she asked him to help with the wine. At this point in the story and the continuation is that um, the reality is that Joseph is most likely dead. That's the consensus. Joseph has died by this point. We only see Mary mentioned twice more before um, Jesus' crucifixion, at which point she watches Jesus tortured and crucified. On the cross, Jesus then asks John to take care of her. And from there, we see Mary twice more uh, among the disciples in the upper room and present at Pentecost. And this is the last reference of Mary. And I want to make a a very important point here. Uh, The story of Mary and Joseph, in the same way that all the stories of Scripture should always be an encouragement or a lesson for us to be encouraged or, or whatever the case may be, but never an opportunity to worship. Mary is blessed, but we do not worship her. We worship Jesus. And so at this point, there's, there's really a couple things that we can point out from their lives that are pretty, pretty common, pretty easy to see. And that's that they were obedient to God, right? That's pretty obvious. They're obedient to God, their response to the angel Gabriel, as well as their obedience to the law. They brought Jesus to the temple. 
uh, to offer sacrifices and they brought Jesus during the time of Passover. They were obedient servants of God. In addition, they, they worship God and we see this uh, throughout their lives as well as uh, even the song of Mary that's, that's really well known. But in all of these things, we see this aspect of their faith in God. And, but this faith comes at a price. And, and I think there's a few points that I want to make here about faith, what faith is. And primarily, these are focused for Mary and Joseph, but we see them a lot in Hebrews chapter 11. We see them a lot throughout Scripture, and we see them in our own lives. It's not an extensive list, <clears throat> and there's a lot more to it, but these are just a few things that I want you to think about in a different way today. And the first is this, faith is laughable to those who do not see. Faith is laughable. Could you guys imagine, a lot of us have been believers, at least been in the church for a really long time. We've heard the story about Jesus every Christmas, if not more, about the manger and his birth. But imagine for a second if you knew none of that, and this is the story, the script is given to you. Okay, there's going to be a God who's going to tell a girl she's going to be pregnant. She has to tell her husband-to-be that she's pregnant even though they haven't done anything and oh, she's been faithful the whole time. She didn't commit adultery. I, I, trust me, promise. I, I, it's okay. She hasn't. She's been good. All right. And then he's actually going to believe her and raise the child as, and the child's perfect. But it sounds laughable, does it not? Not from the. We know the story. We know how it fits in and, and weaves in. But for those who don't know and don't see, it's laughable in the same way that Sarah. When she hears that she's going to be a mother at her age, laughs to the point that Isaac is called the one who laughs. Like it's it's this aspect of like, how that's insane. I'm not going to have a child at this age. And for those who look at us from the outside, it's laughable to see our faith in this God that you can't see. Faith is laughable to those who don't see. This is the encouraging part, right? Okay, we're going to keep going. In Mary and Joseph's life, faith is scandalous. Knowing the backstory, you have a young virgin or a young girl who's told she's going to be pregnant with the child of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, the Messiah. She's in the process of being married to Joseph. It's scandalous, especially in this culture in this time. It's a scandalous idea. And, and I can't think but for a second, if you could imagine being Mary, even though you are filled with faith, like her immediate response is, yeah, like I will be that, that person for you, Lord. And Joseph, after his immediate <coughs> uh, interaction with, with Gabriel as well, responds with like, yeah, I'll be the father. Like I'll, I will be married to, to Mary. Like their immediate response was obedience. But I can't for imagine think that Mary wasn't concerned at all. In the same way that when God asks us to do certain things, there is doubt. And I can't imagine being Joseph in that situation where I, I can't imagine that Satan didn't try to creep in with this idea of betrayal, that Mary had betrayed him. Or, or the possible shame that might come from from this. 
Like, I can't imagine them being fleshly humans who have sinned as being in this position where they didn't have doubt in the same way that we have doubts. Because this faith in this moment was scandalous. In the same way that, that this faith is, is laughable to those who don't see, it's scandalous at times. I mean, look all throughout Scripture, there are scandals around. Sometimes God is the one orchestrating them, and sometimes it's of our own doing and of our own volition and sin. But the third thing is that faith is humbling. I told Scott earlier, I really wanted to say faith is humilifying. For all of us, I think we know that faith is humbling. Because at the very core of who we are as people and the grasp of our control, to have faith in Christ means that we relinquish that. We surrender that. And for Mary and Joseph, they, they go and they have to walk to Bethlehem. They have to have Jesus in, inside the manger. <clears throat> Their son is worshipped. And eventually then he's beaten, mocked, and, and, and crucified. They have to flee their lives from Egypt, always having to trust that God's leading the way, getting them out of whatever danger they might be. And all the while, they are raising the perfect, blameless, spotless Son of God. And then the only real story we have of his childhood, he corrects him for being worried about him. That's all we have. Faith is humbling. You know, for us, obviously, we have much different circumstances. None of us are raising the, the Son of God. But I, look, it, it's hard sometimes to walk in faith when our pride is met at this moment of, of conviction, where we are met at this place of conviction where we say, okay, I can either choose myself and my own desires, or I can lay that down, submit my pride, surrender myself to the point that I can say, I will follow you, Jesus, regardless of what ridicule and shame <coughs> might come. Give me one minute, I'm sorry. Ah, thank you, Dave. And I think about Mary, having been told that she will raise the Messiah And then for her to have to see her son mocked and ridiculed and, and talked about and slandered and then ultimately beaten, flogged, and killed in front of her. We all have different circumstances in life. But the reality, and this is one that is true for all of us, is that faith requires humility. And if we don't humble ourselves, then we lack faith. The fourth thing is that faith is costly. For Mary and Joseph, it almost cost them their marriage. It cost them their security as they had to flee. It cost them ridicule. It cost them time and energy. It cost them resources. It cost them their relationship in their family. The only scripture we know seems to suggest that Jesus and his brothers did not really get along. There was a rift. There was a divide there. Ultimately, we would see that even James, the brother of Jesus, would, would go on to, uh, to be a, a great force in the church as a follower, a believer in Jesus, but that wasn't always the case. It cost them their lives. Look, how easy could it have been for Mary and Joseph to say, no, that's okay, we want to live our lives. We want the security of being able to, to live with our families, to raise a family. 
and we won't do all that other stuff. Our lives are okay right here. Instead, it costs them their lives. It costs them whatever they wanted to do for themselves. And eventually, it costs them their son. There's another aspect here that's, that's in this frame, and, and I want you guys to think about this. And it's something that a couple of years ago um, I heard a pastor talk about. And I think it really hits at the, at the heart of some of our, our pride and arrogance that we don't always admit to. Could you imagine being Joseph, being told that your, your wife-to-be is pregnant with someone else's child? You submit to that. Because you know that's what God has, has planned and orchestrated. And then you raise this child who is perfect and spotless and blameless, who doesn't sin. And then before you ever actually get to see the evidence, the fruit of that, before you get to see the prophecy fulfilled that he would take away the sins of the world, you die. You don't even get to see Jesus in his earthly ministry. And selfishly, I think all of us, if we're to think about this for a second, we're like, what? Like, you don't even get to see Jesus, like, die and resurrect? Like, what is that about? And and I think for all of us, if we really think in our hearts, like, the the prayers that we we cry out, we want to see evidence. We want to see fruit come. We want to see our family members saved. And sometimes we don't always get to see that. Even when we go back to Hebrews chapter 11, there's, there's two passages I want to read. And it ties into this, this, this idea that, that's kind of taking place. Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 through 16 says this, these all died in faith. He's talking about Abraham and, and Moses and all these people. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, <clears throat> but having seen them and greeted them from afar, And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And then Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the, prophet, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies in flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world has not wor- of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. <clears throat> in both of these passages, we are told of the people of faith that experience all kinds of things, right? But both joy, but of sorrow and devastating pain and suffering. And they all died not having received all of the things promised to them. And I think selfishly, all of us in that position, even if we think on our own lives, are at this point of like, why would we want to serve a God who doesn't give us what he promises? 
at least all of it, right? Like, we want more. Why will we serve a God that we literally might have the opportunity to be sawn in half? I don't want that God, right? Yet I can unequivocally say that faith is worth it. Faith in him is worth it. The reason being is that faith is worth it. I just want to read a passage. Philippians chapter 3. And Paul says, indeed, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What a beautiful picture as Paul just lays out. I I could have everything that I wanted, yet I don't care about it. In the same way that that Mary and Joseph and all these people in Hebrews 11, they, they unequivocally say, I don't care about what this might be. I don't care about the cost. I care because I have God. I have him. And that is what I cling to and hold to. And none of the other stuff matters. And that is where we have to come to that point of saying, is it worth it to us to give it all up, even if it means our family members, our homes, our careers, our jobs, or for people simply laughing at us? Is it worth it to you? It's okay if it's not. That's your decision. And yet at the same time, the encouragement is in that you dive deep and plunge deep into that faith. And as you do, all the laughing will subside and you will see and gaze upon the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And not only is that what he has promised, but he has promised this as well in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every, away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from them the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son.
There is without a shadow of a doubt that the life lived as a follower of Christ will not be easy in the flesh. It could be as simple as ridicule and laughter. It could be as much as pain and suffering, despair, fleeing. And the question really for us all is, is it worth it to us? Is Christ worth all of that? The answer I give is yes, he is. And so for those who are believers in Christ today, that is the encouragement. That Jesus is greater than anything else. And for the one who does not see today, maybe you have laughed at it. But I can tell you that even though it is unseen, and even though you do have to place trust in something that you can't definitively say yes to, because you can't see it, that it is worth it. It is worth it. Again and again and again and again, it is worth it. Because he is worth it. Let us pray. Father, through your word, we are able to see your goodness. We are able to see your greatness, your mercy, your grace, your peace, your comfort. And Lord, I I know that the only way that I can have faith in you is built upon the redemption and the price paid by Jesus. And so, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I, I... I cry out to you and ask that, Lord, that you would strengthen them by your presence, by your spirit, that you would give them the boldness to say yes to you, even in the hardest of times, that you might reveal to them their inadequacies and their weaknesses in such a way that they can only place their trust in you. And even when the most difficult thing can happen in their life, Lord, that you might be able to cry out and say, Lord, I trust you because you are enough now and you are enough forever. And for those who do not see, Father, I pray and ask that you would pierce them with your spirit, that they might know you in the power of your resurrection. And Lord, that they might see past the ridicule and the mocking and the laughing that chasm that is too far for them to take, that you might empower them by your spirit to trust in you all the days of their lives. Lord, give us the hearts to persevere that we might run this race well and that we might give everything that we have for you regardless of the cost. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.